nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was going to happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we are in the book of James, chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there if you can actually find it. Uh, that's right. As I write up here on the exciting board, uh, the book of James. Jamais, for those of you hooked on bad French. And uh, let's go ahead and take a look there at the context there. Hopefully, if we can get this far, we can actually finish up this acid test. Get ready for the third acid test. Uh, man, i already been working on that. That's, that's pretty, pretty incredible. All right. Book of James. Let's take a look there. Chapter 1. Alrighty, and uh, let's grab the context with the second acid test, dealing with how do you respond and deal with temptation. Okay, let's take a look. He says there, verse 13 in the context, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempted me, for, hello, God can't be tempted by evil, uh, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which is, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. Again, is what we're seeing is that the issue and the theme of the book of James is it is a book that is one big giant acid test. Actually, tests. There's going to be several of them that you need to pass. The early church is finally getting out there in the world. Last thing God wants is a bunch of phony Christians out there giving a phony gospel and a phony impression of Jesus, okay? So he puts out this acid test, and the first one we saw, well, how do you handle trials, okay, is this uh, thing there. And if you walk away from Jesus in your trial, and you say, I, I become an atheist, or whatever, blah, 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 uh, the Bible's clear. You never had salvation in the first place. You didn't lose it. You didn't have anything there to lose, okay? You were fake. And the trials brought that truth out. But as Christians, we saw that we're going to go through trials too, but being a positive witness for Jesus, we can endure those with a constant joy, and be a great advertisement for Jesus as we're out in the, in the world. And that's the context. The second one we've been dealing with is the second one is how do you handle temptation? Okay, temptation, and I would say just obviously it was temptation, is the issue of sin. What is your attitude towards sin? 
Okay, God does not. He says, absolutely don't let anybody ever say this. Excuse me, are you kidding me that God is tempting me? You don't blame other people and you certainly don't get blasphemous and blame God for your sin. You need to own up to it. Okay, he says, don't let anybody do that. God will test, and that's the theme of this book, but God does not tempt. To tempt is evil, and God has nothing to do with it, okay? And so the last couple of times we've been sitting there on verse 16 when he says, don't be deceived, okay? As we saw last time, I think that that's kind of a tie-in verse. It pulls back, us back to verse 15, where we need to understand we need to own up to our sin, Okay, and then he goes, uh, 16 says, don't be deceived about, if you will, the process of sin. Okay, how does this thing work? Uh, you better take this serious because the biggest problem is the old Jew. He is out there. He is evil. It comes from the evil desires within you. He's hunting you down. He's luring you with this sinful bait. Okay, and you better take this thing uh, serious. And that's what we saw last time is, all right, well, let's take this serious. How does sin work? How does he tempt us? How does this thing, how does it get conceived in our minds in the first place? How does it give birth to death? And we began to break that down and we saw how temptation works, how it enters us, how it appeals to us. When does it come? And last time, if you were here, all right, how do you even, how do you win over it? I want to know that, right? I not only want to know how it works in the interplay, so I'm not deceived. Uh, I want to know how it works. Well, we do that by staying sharp, staying away, stop delaying, spring cleaning, speak in prayer, soak up scripture, be steadfast and faced, and if you blow it, sit there on the ground, cry like a baby, and say, I can't serve these no more. <laughs> no, you stand right back up, right? Hey, take God at his word. Don't call him a liar. If he says he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I kind of think he will. That's what the enemy doesn't want you to know. Don't be deceived about that, okay? Because as a Christian, you're going to blow it. You just, when you do, confess it, get back up and move forward, okay? Because we're not going to get to do this ever again. This is our only time that we get to witness for Jesus. This is the only time that we can hopefully be used of him by his spirit. He still gets the glory to earn a crown for Jesus or lay treasure at his feet. The enemy cannot take away your salvation, but he will steal away your time. The one and only time that this can take place. So don't be deceived. Get back up and keep moving forward. Okay, now that's the first thing I want to see is how the process, I think he's tying us in with verse 16 here. Now, that was verse 15. Now let's move forward. I think he's obviously clearly in the context telling us don't be deceived about this next one. And that is in verse 17 and 18. Let's take a look at that. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. Let me read to you the original Greek. It says, stop being deceived. Okay, it's not don't be deceived, as if it's a potential reality in the future. Uh, the, the impression of the Greek is, uh, knock it off, it's starting to happen right now. Stop it, don't, no, don't, don't go, don't go here. My uh, beloved ones, he says, every good endowment, every complete gift must come from above, okay? From the Father of all lights, with whom there is never the even slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. In accordance with his deliberate purpose, he brought us into being by means of the word of truth, resulting in our being a kind of first fruits of his creatures okay and so this is what i see that uh, james is setting the pace for us what he's saying is listen in essence if you are deceived about the process of sin you're going to probably sin and you certainly don't want to be deceived about blaming your sin when you sin on other people and certainly god 
Okay, but he's saying here now in verse 17, he's saying, listen, what is happening is when you continue to live a life of sin and allow yourself to be deceived, you're doing a couple things here I see in verse 17. What you're doing is you're striking at the heart of our salvation message that we are declaring through Jesus. Number one is what he's talking about there. And because of that, you are sending a false message to the lost. Okay, and that's what he says here. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And in case you don't know what he's talking about, it's beyond the atmosphere and it's not just the birds. Okay, or airplanes that fly overhead. Especially here in Vegas with McCarran Airport. They're all over the place. Okay, and helicopters, throw those in there, right, Joe? Yeah, whatever, thank you. Uh, give it up for Joe, great intern. He just agrees. It's awesome, what a guy. Okay, no. Okay, and he, he goes on. He says, from who? From the Father of Heavenly Lights. Obviously, we're talking about God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, which is common sense. What do we have down here? Who's the ultimate source of good? God. Okay, so he says, listen, if, if something uh, good is happening, if it's something that's good, okay, that's from God. Okay, man messes it up, okay? As we saw before, this is going back to God's character that he is two things. He is a good God and he is a holy God, okay? And that's what he's pulling us back to. Don't be deceived about this. God is good, he is holy, and he has good things in store for his kids. Romans eight twenty eight. he works all things together for good. And we saw that's a good thing to know in your trials, right? We've been there before. He also says that he's prepared for us good works to do uh, in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, right? So he saved us, okay, as an act of goodness and mercy. And he's prepared good things for us to do, okay? It says there, he does not change like shifting shadows. With even, the Greek says, never the slightest variation or shadow, not even a bit of inconsistency. In other words, God is not just holy. He's so holy, that's all he can do. There's no variation from here. God's not going to say, well, maybe it won't be quite as holy today. There's no variation here. There's no inconsistency. There's inconsistency with us. There's inconsistency with man. We wake up and say, I'm going to live for Jesus. About the half the day is over. Sometimes that ain't happening. We're inconsistent, but not with God. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. That's all he is. He can only be good. He can only be holy. He will always be that. And so he says, don't be deceived about this aspect of God's character. It is preposterous to sit there and say that God has anything to do with sin and he doesn't take it serious. That's crazy. Okay. First John chapter one says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now listen to what he says right after that. Because that's just basically what James is saying. Don't be deceived about this. God is good. God is holy. He wants nothing to do with sin. Listen to what he says. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, God, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. Do you see the context there? Don't pull it out, just the one verse, put it together. It's the same thing that James is saying here. Are you kidding me? He pulls us back into where we started on this issue on temptation. If you have the audacity to sit there and say, oh, I'm a Christian, oh, I'm a Christian, all right? And you could give a rip about sin, you don't care about sin. In fact, when you get caught in your sin, you blame other people, and you actually have the audacity to blame God. Not only James, John would say, um, you lie? And you don't live by the truth. John's saying the same thing. It is impossible for God to be a part of sin. And if you have that attitude, you can give a rip about sin. You're a liar, you're a fake, you're a phony. And so again, that's what I think he's drawn us back to. Not just understand the process of sin and certainly don't blame it on other people. And certainly don't blame it on God. 
But he says, don't be deceived. Verse 17, understand this aspect of God's character. He don't play with sin. And if you've got an attitude and you play with sin and you can give a rip about it, you might be failing the test. You might be fake. Because again, as we talked before, you're indwelt at the moment of salvation with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to produce holiness in there. And when unholiness becomes a part of this temple, what's he do? He convicts you, doesn't he? On the spot. You got no conviction, no concern. Who cares about sin? Is the spirit even dwelling within you? And as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of Christ is not in you, you don't belong to Christ. Because if you belong to Christ, you got the spirit. Amen? Okay, now verse 18, he says this, the second half. He not only says, I think, don't be deceived about misunderstanding again this acid test, this uh, going against the character of God, his goodness and holiness. He says this, verse 18, and don't be deceived about this. He, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now, obviously, based on the context here, what, is, what kind of birth is he talking about? Is it natural? No, I'd say easily in the context here, the word of truth, okay? Did you guys, did any of us get born because our parents opened the Bible and read one verse? Psh, here come a baby. No, because that's what he's saying, by it through the word of truth. No, somebody shared God's truth with us, the word, okay? And we got saved as a result of that. So he's talking about spiritual birth, okay? He chose to give us birth, salvation. He saved us through the word of truth, okay? And, and again, if you got this attitude, I don't care about sin or whatever, think about what you're doing. This is at the core of us being saved, being birthed spiritually, born again. When we got saved, what's the first thing that we need to own up to? Sin. We have to deal with sin. We can't come to Jesus, hey Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, but I, I'm not a sinner. No, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me, but uh, uh, okay, yeah, I, I've done some pretty bad things, but it wasn't my fault. You know, it was my parents and this, and the people made me do it. You know what I'm saying? It was Joey sitting here on the front row staring at me. I got nervous. I just couldn't help myself. Victim. Victim and teller. That's right. We know that's a victim. I'm a victim of... Or even worse, hey, God, you know, hey, yeah, I haven't lived a good life, but you know what? You made me this way. Whew. Slap that off your mouth. What? So what he's saying is, listen, don't, don't be deceived about this, man. If, if you have this attitude that you're going to blame other people and take sin lightly or who gives a rip, he says, excuse me, our whole salvation is based on owning up to your sin. And it was so egregious in the front to God's holiness that he had to send his son to die in our place for it. And you're going to have this flippant attitude towards it? What? Are you crazy? Jesus died to give us birth, to be born again. Okay, out of God's goodness and his holiness. One guy says this, the nature of salvation or regeneration itself uh, or the new birth shows us that God does not lead us into sin. The purpose of regeneration was to give birth into life, to create us to do good, not evil, to give us power over sin as a part of a new creation. So God is in no way involved in our sinfulness. He cannot be mixed with evil. The nature of God is such that he only gives good gifts. And when God touches your life, i.e. when you get saved truly, it is to produce life, not death. It is to produce righteousness, not sin. It's to make you into a new creation, not continuing to exercise the old one. That's the whole crux of our salvation message. And he says, don't be deceived about that. 
continuing to live a sinful life strikes at the heart of the gospel of salvation. And guess what? It sends a false message to the lost. Because when you have that attitude and sin is no big deal, you don't need to worry about it. If you get caught with it, just, just blame it on somebody else. Excuse me? First of all, the scripture says, be ye holy as I am holy is what's going on. But what happens is, listen, you are giving the impression to the lost person that if they think about even getting saved, they don't have to worry about it either. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And when we are taking sin seriously and we're walking by the Spirit of God, it's not us, by the Spirit of God in the new man, in the new creation, with the new birth, in the new life, in the new path. Okay, people see us taking sin serious. So just by being that holy advertisement, people walking around Christians going, hey, number one, there's something different in their life. Okay, that's exposing the darkness in my life. And if I'm going to have a relationship with God by nature of looking at their life, something has to be done with this darkness, right? Have you ever done that? As a Christian, you're just busy living the Christian life. You're just doing basic Christianity. I don't drink, cuss, curse, or chew, and hang around with them that day. You know, just basic stuff. Uh, the world's getting more wicked. I tell people it's, it's frankly making it easier, if you will, in a weird sense, uh, to be a, a, a positive Christian witness. Because the moral slide is so below just basic Christianity. If people go, whoa, well, who are you, the Pope? Or are you so holy? Whoa. It's like, yeah, I, I didn't want to steal the candy bar. Ooh. But they, to them, it's like, oh, are you crazy? Everybody steals. Right? That's how bad our society is. So when we're out there just living basic Christianity, being holy because he is holy, we're taking sin serious. We're a walking advertisement for here's what you need to do. We may not even have to say a word. And they're going, whoa, I steal candy bars. But he doesn't. What am I going to do? You know what I'm saying? Without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. Now flip it around. If you're out there stealing candy bars just like everybody else, and they're even thinking about, well, maybe I should become a Christian. Maybe I should get saved. Now what's their impression? It's okay. Sin's no big deal. So if they even do, quote, walk an aisle, so if they even do, uh, quote, respond to whatever's going out there as the supposed gospel, are you encouraging them to, very first thing out of your mouth, oh God, please forgive me of my sin, my unholiness. Or does that even enter their mind? Well, apparently I just pray a prayer, I walk an aisle, or I get dunked in some water, and I'm good to go. And I'll just keep on doing what it... Right? That's why he said, don't be deceived. Listen, when we have this complacent attitude towards sin, listen, the impression that we're giving to the lost not only strikes at the heart of salvation, which the very first step is, own up to your sin. He says, now you're giving the lost person out in the world the impression that, hey, you don't have to worry about your sin. In fact, there's no need to even confess your sin. Okay? Which makes a mockery of the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why didn't he just get beat up a couple times? You know, and that's, that's it. Good enough. Right? Because we're not that bad. Sin's not that serious. And that's why he says, don't be deceived. You've got to take this sin thing serious. You need to not only understand how the process works, but you've got to understand that, listen, this is at the heart of how we got saved. Sin has to be dealt with. Praise God. It's dealt with on the cross of Christ. But listen, it'll stay there in essence unless you ask for it. But are people going to be asking for it and taking it serious? if we give the impression that it's not serious. You see what I'm saying? 
The second half of what he's talking about there, verse 18, he says this. Uh, we're not only to take sin serious so we don't give a false message to the lost. Okay? We're also to take it serious because he says there we're supposed to be a kind of first fruits. What we're going to see is like a movie preview. Okay? In the Chrome translation there. Of the fantastic future that God has prepared for his children. Okay, this is what he says there in verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Why? He tells the answer. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So the big $64,000 question is, what is the first fruits, right? Well, if you do your study, it meant uh, uh, two things. It means, uh, in the, back in the day, we'll grab the context here in the Old Testament, but basically God, what he's telling the people in the Old Testament, I want the first fruits of your crops. He wants the first and he wants the best. Okay, that's in a nutshell. Now let me go and explain it. When you harvest a crop, God is saying to the people in the uh, Old Testament, bring an offering to me, okay? And I want the first that you harvest to show that you live by faith because if you take your first, the tendency of the farmer is to take the first thing that he harvests uh, and hoard it just in case nothing else comes through. At least you got something out of it, right? It wasn't a complete total failure. So God is telling these people to take an act of faith and he says, listen, you bring me first and you bring me your best. Okay, and it's a step of faith that I'll bless you for that because I'll give you an even better crop in the future. But you trust me. You, you don't hoard. Don't hold back. You give me the first and you give me the best. You keep walking by faith and I'm going to show you how fantastic your crop. I'll bless your socks off. Okay, that's what I meant by first fruits. God gets the first, he gets the best. Trust him that he's got something fantastic in the future. Okay, and if you didn't give him the first and the best, you're not trusting him, are you? And you believe that he's not a good and perfect and holy God, and he's just out there to ruin your life. Okay, so that's what he's talking about there, okay? Uh, and this is what James is saying. God wants us to be, listen, not just uh, uh, growing crops. Anybody is able to grow crops? Anybody got a green thumb? Anybody got like a brown toe? I got a brown toe. I don't have that green thumb. Man, I couldn't make grass grow. Uh, kids are doing better than I. They got these little seeds they put in these pots. And they're just like, man, how do you guys do that? What's up with you? So, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so no, he's talking about spiritually. We're supposed to be the spiritual advertisement, okay? We are, listen, here's what he's talking about. We're supposed to be a kind of first fruits. Not only are we to take this serious so that people don't get the wrong message and a false salvation, that sin's no big deal. It is. It's so big Jesus had to die on the cross for it. The second thing he says, we are to be literally a first fruit. The first, what you're seeing, mankind, is in the Christian, you are seeing the best is yet to come. You're seeing that advertisement of the future that I am going to bring to this planet forever. And that advertisement is a world without sin. It's going to be fantastic. One guy says this, the world will not continue on its way right now. We are headed for a total transformation. God is going to recreate this earth to his own liking. He's going to make a new creation. Everything, listen, not just people, everything will be born again, if you will. Everything, men, women, dirt, hills, valleys, water, grass, plants, animals, everything. Listen, and we Christians are the first fruits, literally the first evidence appearing, the first bit of the tiny crop of that future crop. You get it? We're that first crop. 
Okay, so when they say good, they go, whoa, wow, look at that. Are you, whoa, what a movie preview that is. Are you, are you mean to tell me by, okay, your life, you, you take sin seriously, you don't want to have anything to do with sin, and it's all about holiness, and, 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 and God is good, so you are good to others, and, and God is holy, so you are holy, and, and, and you, you, is that really what's coming to this planet? That's just by looking at us as Christians. We're that first fruit of the crop that is to come, okay? Now, here's the problem. When we have a low attitude towards sin, and we're just sinning and yucking it up with the rest of the world, living the way the world does as a Christian, what kind of movie preview are we getting? Think about that. Oh, what do we say to people all the time? Oh, come to Jesus. It's great. It's awesome. You get to go to heaven. Uh, uh, you get to go in the rapture, and you come back in the millennial kingdom, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's a place where there's no more sorrows or pain, and it's going to be great. It's awesome. And you're just like, really? That's, that's not what you're doing. You're living just like me. You act like me, you speak like me, you behave like me. I mean, at least what kind of movie preview I'm watching from you is, this world's better than that one coming. Because you sure love it more. You see why he says don't be deceived about that? That's what we're doing. That's the kind of first fruit crop we're giving people. The best is yet to come. I don't want, what? I want to get out of this mess. I don't want to live in a world like this forever then we need to get back to being those positive advertisements, okay? Let's take a look at that uh, real quick. Revelation 21, open there. Let's take a look at that future that we're headed towards. Yeah, Revelation 21. And uh, verses 1 through 4, let's just grab the context here. And let's take a look at that future that we are headed towards. And uh, we're supposed to be walking advertisements, okay? Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I, I saw a what kind of a heaven? The same old heaven as uh, this one. You know, on the same old what, what kind of earth? New, okay. It's, it's all just going to be the same thing, same old thing, and, and same old government, and same old trials, and same old lack. And, no, it's new. This is, this is what's coming. This is the ultimate crop. New heaven, new earth. For why? The first earth and the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the what kind of city? Holy city. The what kind of Jerusalem? New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And uh, she was just wearing this burlap sack because she didn't have time to really get dressed or nothing. And God just gives us leftovers. Oh, I'm sorry. That wrong translation. Uh, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is going to be awesome, man. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. Let's continue on real quick. Uh, Psalm 2 says this is the actual dwelling place of God. Matthew 18 is the dwelling place of the angels. Hebrews 11 says it's a heavenly country. A heavenly country. It's not, I, we've talked about this before. Did you realize that one day there's not going to be ever any more elections or pre-elections or post-elections or any kind of election of anything? Did you know one day that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to rule and reign literally on this planet? And there isn't going to be an election. Nobody runs against him. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And think about that. That means that there's no more baloney that we see today. With all the government, all the ripoff. Did you know that there isn't going to be an IRS anymore? Yeah, hello. Did you know there's not going to be any more politics or politicians? And once again, we know what politics means. Two words, poly 
and ticks, blood-sucking creatures, many, you know, is what's going on there. Okay, so that's none more of that stuff. We're headed to this. This is the place. This is the future. James says, listen, this is what God's won for us. It's not just the forgiveness of our sins. Praise God, and we're not going to eternal damnation and hell. This is the crop. This is what's coming. It's a holy place, Isaiah 57, eternal paradise. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Revelation 21. Uh, the streets are gold. The gates are pearls. Uh, the foundations are precious gems. There's eternal rest, eternal joy, uh, uh, without wickedness, without darkness, without sin, without tears, without mourning, without pain, without death. It's a place of absolute purity. It's filled with the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says it's an everlasting place. Once you get there, there you're never coming back to this baloney ever again. Ever. Ever. Anybody excited about that future? It is coming. Now, in, in that future that I just read, and that's heaven, did you notice anything that was absent in that reality? Sin. That's right, Bobby. Was that you? I said sin. Sin is the correct answer. I mean, there's no ounce of sin in there. No sin, no hatred, no strife. No murder, no deceit, no, that's not mentioned in there. That's all gone. That's the old order. That's all passed away. So God's ultimate crop that is coming, that he has won for his kids, is a reality that is just like him forever and ever and ever. Holy, 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 absolute joy and peace and rest and paradise. And so shall it be forever and ever and ever. And can you imagine somebody getting on the scene and say, Hey, God, thanks for letting me into heaven. Woo! Let's go sin. Let's go to the bars. Let's go live it up, man. Let's go commit uh, immorality. Let's party. Oh, what's that, angels? What, what's, what's the problem? Hey, listen, don't worry. God will forgive us. It's no big deal. And just say it was somebody, somebody else made you do it. <laughs> you see how foreign a concept that is? This is what James is saying. Whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Don't be deceived. This is serious stuff. You got this complacent attitude towards sin and it's no big deal. You could give a rip about it and who cares? I don't need to struggle. I don't need to understand the process. None of that stuff. I'll blame it on other people. What? What kind of salvation did you respond to? Did you even respond to the true gospel? And second of all, what kind of a rotten advertisement are you saying? God's prepared this place for us called heaven. It's insanely wonderful. And you're going to walk around and act like it's no big deal? How dare you? Don't be deceived. And can I flip it around a little bit? Stop deceiving the lost. Stop deceiving the lost. Because if you're going to make it to that place in, called heaven, you have to take sin seriously. Okay? Let's continue on. Uh, and that's just uh, why the scriptures... We've got to read this one. Because now you've got, got all that context. Now listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Alrighty. Joey, as you find 2 Corinthians, what do you do? Move, move, move and left. Do a left move. Dude, you're on the ball. It's okay. Hey, you're the one staring at me, man. I'm going to put the pressure back on you. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 6 verses uh, 9 through 11. He says, listen, I, I love this. Listen, he says, listen, do, do you not know 
that the what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's almost like you could insert that right here, like in uh, 18b. Don't be deceived. Are you, do you not know? How can you have that attitude? You're going to blame God for your sin or other people, not take it serious. Who gives a rip about it? Whoa, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you understand that's not going to come in the future? That's not what he saved you for? Listen to that, and then he begins to break it down. He says, do not be exactly what James says. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the male prostitutes, nor the what? Homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, key word here, and that is what some of you were. Now, does it mean that a Christian can't ever slide into one of those sins? It can happen. But that's not your way of life anymore. That's the old you. The new you wants to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And if you do mess up with these, you don't just have a complacent attitude. The Holy Spirit convicts you. That's what you were. But that's not who you are now. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, and so that's what he's saying here. Sin has no part in heaven. It needs to be taken serious for salvation to take place because that's at the heart of the gospel. I come to Jesus and say, hey, I believe in you. I'm ha it's happening, right? I believe in you. Like I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I never saw him either. It's just some historical thing. I got to get the right answer on the test. I agree. I strongly agree on that one. No. It means you need to believe in what he did on the cross. What? He was dying for your sin, which needs to, you need to own up to your sin. So it's serious, okay? And it needs to be taken serious to be that positive advertisement for God. Real quick, I just want to talk about the millennial kingdom because that's the other thing that's coming. See, right now, you and I as the Christian, if we were to die, we go straight up to be into heaven. Okay, or if the rapture were to occur right now as a born-again Christian, we go to be in heaven. But we're not going to stay there. Okay, we come back with Jesus, Revelation 19, and we get to be a part of this millennial kingdom. Now, at the end of that millennial kingdom, there's going to be a final rebellion, which we're not going to be a part of because we don't have sin anymore because our bodies have been uh, uh, taken care of and the sin's no longer. Okay, and then there's going to be the new heaven, the new earth that we saw. Okay, but, okay, we're going to be a part of this millennial kingdom. Now, this is going to happen to the planet. Okay, here's another piece of the, of the final crop that you and I should live our lives acting like this is a preview of what is to come. Let me just give you a, a, a couple of aspects of that. The government will be a theocracy. That means Jesus Christ, as I said before, is going to be ruling and reigning as king over the whole planet. You think that's going to be awesome? No more the baloney. We, no more sneaky handshakes. No more bribes. No more none of that baloney. It's gone. That is coming to this planet. The 12 disciples get to rule, but the scripture also gives the impression that us being faithful... Christians, we also get to have a part in the ruling process of that kingdom. Isn't that awesome? That is going to be a privilege. Uh, he's going to, war is going to be a relic of the past. Jerusalem right now, known for war and bloodshed, uh, is going to become a city of peace and the capital of the world. 
with Jesus ruling and reigning there, okay? Uh, paradise is going to be regained. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely awesome. Uh, 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 the whole world in all of its uh, economics, its labor, the social life, the morality uh, is going to reflect the mind of Jesus Christ. It's going to be completely opposite to our world today. Uh, Satan this whole time has been bound. Imagine an existence never having to deal with spiritual warfare. That would be kind of nice. Okay, that'd be kind of cool. Okay, and he says this, he continues on. He says, uh, uh, the religious peace there's going to be between the Jews and the Gentiles going to be worshiping the Lord together. Can you imagine the size of that church service? Can you imagine the worship take? Can you, can you imagine how our worship service and how much we quote, it's kind of like our, our study we're on now, Renewing Your Faith. It's supposed to be a relationship with God. Can you imagine we go to, quote, church services now, except this time, instead of just looking at a cross to remind us of Jesus, he's right there. You know how much we get into it? With the Jews and the Gentiles and the whole planet. Oh. Woo! I don't, I don't think we'd come up with excuses like, I gotta go paint my dog's toenails. I can't make it this week. I gotta go mow my grass. No, I don't have grass. I live in Vegas. I gotta go mow my rocks. I can't make it to services to worship. Are you kidding me? He's gonna be there. Listen to what that reality is gonna be like. The earth is going back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. There's gonna be fullness of joy. There's gonna be holiness. The kingdom is gonna be glorious. Uh, Jesus is going to minister to every need, fullness of comfort, uh, complete justice, full knowledge, sickness removed, healing of the deformed, uh, uh, total protection. Who's gonna beat up Jesus? Yeah, <laughs> give me a break. Uh, freedom of oppression, uh, unified language, uh, the manifest presence of God, and the fullness of His Spirit. Uh, as we saw before, there's even going to be tamed wildlife. Now that's pretty trippy. Now, can, now, now let's go back to that. Can you imagine an existence where your kids could play with wolves or snakes? Here, Snakey! Eat this piece of chicken. Dad doesn't want it. <laughs> right? All of nature will be tame. We could ride, we could ride elephants. We could have pet tigers. Well, I'm not making this up. This is the future for God's kids. This is, for, this is our future. Okay? Can you imagine that? Now, flip it around if you want to get into the creation studies. Add another element to this. All right? The scripture says that God created all the land animals in one day. There also was another land animal that existed with men, and it was called the dinosaur. What? Yeah, we've been lied to. Okay? And we talked before. We're getting this on Wednesday nights. You're going to see the actual photographs, Lord willing. But did you know that they've actually found human remains mixed in with dinosaur remains? Did you know they've actually found and had the actual photographs of human tracks crisscrossing dinosaur tracks? How do you explain that one? Did you know they've actually even found human tracks stepping inside of a dinosaur track? It's like they were all running the same direction trying to get away from something. I wonder what that was. A flood. That's right, Mickey, a flood. Interesting. Isn't it interesting how mankind wants to look at what, what took out the dinosaurs? There was some meteor. How about a flood? I think a flood will mess them up a little. Okay. And so, no, so back it up. So dinosaurs being in the Garden of Eden with man... God's going to renovate, listen, 
the earth back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. So let's go beyond now just you can have a pet tiger or a pet elephant. Who wants a pet pterodactyl? Dude, who wants a pet brachiosaurus, man? Wouldn't that be awesome? Huh? You could load him up when you go to Walmart. He could handle anything. He'll drag it home, right? Yeah, but the prices will be really good. So, because it's the millennial kingdom. It's justice. It's right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a serious rollback. You know what I'm saying? So, but uh, can you imagine that? Folks, this isn't make-believe. This is our future. I got one guy says, says, look at most Christians. It looks like in order to be one, uh, uh, your diet has to consist of sour lemons, pickles, and prunes. (laughs) What? Are Are you crazy? Don't you know what he saved us for? It's not. I mean, if all of it was to save us from eternal damnation in hell, that's enough to keep a smile on your face. He saved us for so much more than that. He saved us for heaven. He saved us to be a part of this absolutely incredible kingdom. The millennial kingdom. Okay, it's, it's coming. We get to be a part of that. How could we not walk around with, without a smile? And again, you take a look at what's going on here. One guy says this. He says, under the direction of Jesus Christ, during the millennial kingdom, the resurrected believers of the church will provide the leadership necessary to create a just society for mankind. Listen, the greatest adventure we could ever imagine awaits us in the reality of the kingdom of Christ. I get to ride a dinosaur. One step further, for those of you still making fun of my wiener dogs. We also know, according to creation, that uh, in the pre-flood atmosphere, it produced giantism. That's why lizards got really big. They're called dinosaurs. Because lizards never stopped growing. So you put them in an environment with uh, more air pressure, more oxygen, and a greenhouse, and uh, unlimited food supply, and they live an extremely long time. That's what you get. Okay? So if God were to allow the uh, atmosphere to go back to that, that also produced that, okay, dude, they're the size of a rhinoceros. Can you imagine my wiener dogs? Yeah. Come here, Sammy. Say hi to Joey. Yeah, laugh now, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Folks, this is what's coming. The fruit bigger, life bigger, growing. I could actually grow something now. It's going to be great. This is where we're headed. This is awesome. This is the existence. This is the reward for the faithful. This is our future. This is what Christ, this is the other half. He, yes, saved us from eternal damnation and hell. Okay, but listen, he's also saved us for that. Now, somebody gets on the scene. I'm a Christian. Woo! Hey, let's go party. Let's go out here on the strip. Uh, let's go commit immorality. Let's go get drunk. Let's go do all kinds of stuff. Let's shoot her up. Let's do, woo! Yeah, let's set it up. Can you imagine how out of place that would be? What, what are you talking about? First of all, sin destroys. Sin is not good. It's unholy and it will destroy you. God is good. God is holy and He's prepared good things for His kids. How could you sit there and Don't be deceived. How could you sit there and say that you're a Christian and you could give a rip about sin and then blame it on other people, even God? And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. The reason why you're saying that, I don't know the heart, only God does. Now we Christians can sin, can't we? So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're saved by our works, we're not. 
But if you really could give a rip about sin, no conviction of sin, who cares about sin, you're complacent about sin, I mean nothing. Maybe the problem is you're not a Christian at all. Maybe you're failing the, the test. Maybe the way you handle temptation and sin is revealing what God already knows. And if that's you, you do need to take sin serious and you do need to come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. And the good news is, you will. Amen? That's the second acid test. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into verse 19. <laughs> verse 19. This is awesome. It just makes so much sense, man, when you start peeling away. At least I think so. We saw that the first trial, or the first acid test is trial. How do you handle trials? And we're going through that as we continue to go through this. It's like, yeah, no wonder people are doing that. Okay? And then we go to this one, the temptation sin. It's like, yeah, right? Because again, we look at the American church and we're going like, it's messed up. Why is there so lack of power, so lack of all kinds of things and moving to God and revival's not coming? I think because most of the American church is full of phony Christians, right? And then what you're going to see is the third one, okay? And these are the people who walk away from Jesus and these are the people who have a rotten attitude towards sin, who cares about sin, never even talks about sin. Oh, by the way, they never preach on sin either. That's a whole other flipping around. But we're going to see, Lord willing, the third one is how they respond to the word of God also becomes an acid test. And flip it around. It isn't just how people sitting in pews respond to the word of God could reveal, are you really saved or not? But a church that refuses to preach the word of God and only fluff, what in the world is going on? You're getting phony folks, not only in the pews, but behind the pulpit. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? 
The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.